Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. For sure, I think if I get to drive more and more and more, uh, for sure, you know, I'm going to feel more comfortable. I nearly told him to calm down in the end. I'm like, mate, you're making me stressed. I'm stressed enough as is. In 2014, Chaz Mostert and Paul Morris won Bathurst. The race finished at almost 6.30 and 5.2 million people were watching at the end of that race. So a quarter of the Australian population watched Chaz win that race. That's a pretty you know, compelling figure to, to drop on anybody. <laughs> From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And welcome again to another exciting week of Inside Supercars. Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock. Good evening, Craig. Good evening, Tony. You're setting us to a high standard saying another exciting week of Inside Supercars, but uh, I'm really looking forward to Ryan's story's second part of that interview this week on the show. He is certainly one of the more interesting men in our paddock and uh, great background uh, to uh, what is obviously the uh, form team of the, uh, the category. Big uh, agenda this week. Most of the news uh, seems to revolve around tracks. Certainly the great news that Newcastle is, uh, the track build is well underway. I've been around there and spent several days there, and uh, it's certainly, I think, going to be a fantastic event, well worthy of replacing Homebush, which started out big. Unfortunately, it did get tarnished by some uh, politicians who were taking some backhanders, but it's great to see that uh, another government is involved, that being the uh, Newcastle uh, local government. The other big news of the week was the fact that the South Australian government have decided that they're going to do their best to make tail and bend an event on the supercar uh, schedule. Yeah, important for the growth of motorsport in Australia, tail and bend is a success, and particularly for South Australian motorsport, which has always produced a, a great number of uh, Australian motorsport uh, participants at the top level, but filtering right through. And, of course, uh, you've got, what, three currently on the grid that are uh, from the uh, southern state. And, and you've only got to look at the fact that, you know, great names like Elfin and Barana were two racing car manufacturers, uh, albeit last century, but it certainly was a place that uh, a lot has happened in motorsport over the years. And remembering, of course, that it was in 85 that the bar was reset on how Formula One should happen and the South Australian Motorsport Board and the South Australian Government reset that bar. Mm. Fascinating times there. I was also going to say that the first museum in Australia was the Birdswood Motoring Museum, which uh, featured uh, many, many motorsport uh, cars over the years and it is still going strong today. The other news was uh, about a track and the possibility that Singapore could end up on the schedule for uh, supercars. Now, that's interesting um, because uh, obviously it'd be part of the Formula One event and they'd obviously have to schedule it around, but it would give maybe not so much the television viewers back in Europe, but certainly uh, the people at the track something to look at during the day because it is a night race predominantly for Europe. Mm, perfect climbing for Australia, though, and to prime yes, time. Indeed. And uh, Liberty Media has to be uh, credited with what they've done already uh, in Formula One, and perhaps that's a talking point for another day. But I think uh, under Bernie's watch, it was never going to happen. But uh, under Liberty Media, we've got the Grand Prix going to be a points-paying round. And with that attitude of uh, making it a much more exciting event, a much more uh, spectator-focused event, then I could see the supercars perhaps picking up more than one and and James Warburton's goal of having multiple events in Asia coming to fruition. Indeed. I don't actually use that uh, man's first name. Eccleston was his name. Um, because uh, you only use somebody's first name if you like and admire them, and that's not certainly my feeling about what he did to Formula One. Anyway, onward and upward. Um, the other piece of news this week was um, the possibility that was written about, Bruce Newton wrote about, that Kia have said that uh, they'd be interested in helping, but certainly aren't going to participate in supercars. Two teams have approached him, and I believe that Gary Rogers was one and that uh, they're not going to get involved as a manufacturer. But certainly the 
Kia Stinger would be a good addition to the supercar grid. And it's got the right name for a supercar, hasn't it? The Stingers on the track. It's, uh, Indeed you it know, does. And when they had success. But interesting, they haven't said we you can't use our IP being the shape of the car, our base engine. They've just said we're not going to pay for that to happen. So that's yeah. a, that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting situation because that's probably how the uh, Mustang will come about. Ford will say, "Well, we're not going to pay for it, but if you want to use that shape and uh, put our budge on it, then have at." Uh, it sounds like Kia is more open to perhaps providing some parts. So it's only the initial whatever couple of million dollars to develop it that they're not willing to fork out. Yes, indeed. And it would certainly be um, good to have another brand on the grid because at the moment we only have three brands, um, that being a no factory from uh, Ford anymore, but both Holden and Nissan are there with factory-supported teams. Yes, isn't it terrible? We've only got three brands after 20 years of only having two. Yes. <laughs> well, it is a 50% growth. Um, this week, of course, we've got the second part of uh, Ryan Story's story. And uh, we're joined this week uh, by the 2016 Development Series champion, Gary Jacobson, who this year makes his debut in the Pertec Enduro Cup. So it's going to be terrific talking to Gary. He's up in Queensland at the moment in a week-long training session, so he'll be able to give us some insight into that world of uh, training as a racing driver, what they do. So that's after the break. We'll come back with Gary. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question... Email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Bet Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian Times since we've been back, and we're unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. And we welcome today Gary Jacobson, the 19... 19. <laughs> 2016 Development Series Champion. G'day, Gary. Hey, how are you going? Well indeed, well indeed. Now, you're a lot warmer than both Craig and myself, being up in North North Queensland or just Central? Uh, I'm, I'm at Gold Coast at the moment. I'm currently, uh, I'm in day two of a training camp with uh, Bill Young at GP Human Performance. So he, uh, he's trained a couple of Formula One drivers in his time, so I thought it would be, uh, be a good, uh, good chance to get myself fit and ready for the Townsville race up and coming for the DVS Championship. And who else is there with you training? Uh, it's, a, it's a solo effort this time. Uh, I, I did a group uh, training session with the, the, the whole ProDrive fleet uh, at the Essendon Football Club earlier on in the year, but uh, been, uh, well, I suppose the, 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 the break for the Super 2 Series, we haven't raced since Philip Isle, and it's been quite a while since I've been in a race car, so I thought I might, even, might get out in the heat and uh, get some cycling done in the mountains, get some gym sessions done, and uh, get getting ready for Townsville coming up. Right, okay. And what's, what's the training uh, condition of? you got five days, do you say, there? Yeah, it's basically five days. You, you sort of stretch it out to be sort of three to four sessions a day. And uh, you get pretty sore, as you can imagine. But um, it's just a good way to, um, I suppose, prepare yourself as much as, pos- as you possibly can and feel confident going into into the car. I, I wouldn't say it's the be-all and end-all of what makes you fast, but uh, at least you know when you're sitting in the car and it's 35 degrees ambient temp and you know, 60 degrees inside the car, you feel like you've done everything humanly possible to give yourself the best possible chance to, to get a successful result. Did you do sports? I mean, at school, obviously, uh, which is what? You left school about six years ago? Yeah, yeah, 25 years old now, so... It's getting a while ago now. It's been pretty fast. Yeah, have you done any right. sports since <laughs> leaving school? Yeah, I, I, well, look, I, I suppose in my earlier years of uh, high school, I, I competed in football, basketball, tennis, um, it, it, like most things just to have a, you know, a, a normal social life as a kid growing up until I fully committed to my go-karting uh, endeavours when I was about 14, 15 years old. But... Um, yeah, I, I suppose these days I, 
I, I probably enjoy my cycling the most. I haven't really raced in competition per se, but I um I go around the, the local cycling tracks of um, Shepparton in a, in a group called the Coulda Beans, and it's a couple of guys that raced in A grade and B grade and C grade, and sort of mix it up with those guys, and it's kind of that racing simulation, isn't it? Right, uh, cycling anything I can race for the lawnmower or <laughs> or a whole Gemini around the bush of the Shepparton Golden Valley region. Anything that feel like I'm racing is basically my fix of sport. So yeah. And I suppose this is a very good way to focus yourself back getting ready for Townsville. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've been on the sidelines a bit, you know. I've, I've gone from uh, winning my first race of the, of the year at Phillip Island to, to a big break now, and I've been in the sidelines watching the main game cars in the background at Pro Drive Racing at uh, Perth at Barbagallo and, and Darwin just been. And, uh, you know, I'm just really hungry at the moment, just sort of, sitting there in the background listening to the engineers talk to the drivers and talking to the mechanics about you know where the directions of, of the car is going to date and it just can't wait to uh to get back behind the wheel i have been lucky i've had two test days in, in the break so i had my super two test day my second test day of the of the 2017 season just gone and had some good speed there and i also had my uh, my first couple of laps in jason's car because as you know, it was pouring rain in the co-driving session that went in on the Friday yeah. and when we were all there. So uh, Team Edwards was nice enough to give me a bit of a catch-up session. So, yeah, still did a couple of laps, but, uh, yeah, rearing at the bit and rearing to go. Gary, how do you feel when you're sitting there watching wild cards going around, which are some of the guys that you've been mixing it with? Oh, to be honest, I'm, I'm not the jealous type. I'm really happy for anybody that I've grown up with across the ranks, you know, I race with Jack LeBrock as a, as a cam driving starter in the Formula Ford days and, uh, you know, I've, I've had my fair share of laps, um, you know, against Shay Davies and guys like that and I guess I'm just happy for them in a way that they've got the opportunity. Um, it, it was a bit of a, a, a strain for me for, for my budget for the 2017, uh, 2017 campaign to, to do an extra uh, race or two as a wild card and, uh, I suppose um, I felt uh, uh, I felt uh, a little bit um, uh, like a, like a lost opportunity in a way, but um, I, I was happy for them. I was happy to see them achieve their dreams of being, uh, you know, involved in a V8 supercar event. But at the same time, I know that uh, my chance has come. I, I get to compete for the first time this year as a as a co-driver and. That involves me in the main game uh, championship in some way with Jason Bright in the Megabolt Fields car. So, uh, you know, I still get my chance to compete on the big stage. So mm. Looking forward to that. And those guys yeah, don't happen to have a full-time free. sprint car program to run over summer either. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that was my affordable way to, to keep myself race fit and, and sharp. And it's a very great opportunity for me. You know, racing has been in my blood, but it, it's not all been about bitumen racing. My, my father raced in a modified production in Speedway and, and was very successful and I used to follow him around when I was about six or seven years old when I was old enough to be able to, you know, scrape mud off his car and and uh, in his later years of racing when he was in his high high 30s, uh, nearly 40 years old, he, he finally had the budget to go and race a sprint car, a 360 sprint car and uh, uh, I jumped in that very car that he raced in uh, late last year and had a bit of a steer in it, and we've had a lot of assistance from a team called GW Racing, Graham and Wendy Earhart, um, are based in Toowoomba, and they have their own uh, sprint car fleet there with uh, Peter Lack, the current driver, their main driver in the 410 sprint car. And, yeah, I, I just jumped in and had a feel of it, and um, the, the client of the course was there on the day, and I was getting a bit of coaching from Robbie Farr, which is a, a well-known sprint car driver in Australia. And, uh, yeah, basically did one day in the car and then jumped in and did six races in the off-season. So, yeah, I was really excited about, you know, being able to drive a sprint car with 870 horsepower. You know, it's pretty good grunt. And, uh, you know, feeling the different driving style of a sprint car, reading a track when it gets slippery as the as the dirt starts to flick off to the side into the fence and you start to race on the bare, bare minimum clay that's on the hard surface on the bottom of the track, um, just learn a lot and I suppose I jumped and leaped out of my comfort zone a bit as well but um, really enjoyed uh, the challenge of it in the summer break. 
You must be greatly enthused that uh, you're making your debut with uh, Jason Bright, someone very experienced and uh, who knows uh, the ways of uh, doing it without stressing yourself and making sure that you'll be in a position to get a good result. Yeah, I had a chat with Jason at the start of the year when we had our launch, to, you know, launch the whole uh, the, the idea of the, of the mega of the mega race car, and we stood next to each other and got the photo for the first time. And I was like a kid, and uh, you know, in the chocolate factory, just really keen to to you know have my opportunity alongside him. And I've had some great mentors in, in the past. You know, I, I first raced in, in the Formula Four with the Cairns Rising Star program with Mark Scaife and. He mentored me through my first years of professional circuit racing. And then after that, I, I raced uh, with Sonic Motorsport and Bear Supercars and got my first chance in the Dunlop Series. And I had Glenn Seaton mentoring me through that. And uh, you now I've got, uh, you know, last year I had Mark Winterbottom sort of coaching me through my first year of being involved in a factory team with 60 full-time staff. And now I've got Jason alongside me. And uh, it's been a great journey for me to have all these guys involved and, and, and helping me out and, you know, just giving me those little hints day by day about how to improve my racing craft. But um, I suppose for my first chance in, in the main game um, to, to race against, well, race with Jason against a, a really top-tier category like Bad Supercars, I couldn't be in a better position to learn and, and improve on myself. So, yeah, really excited about the opportunity. The, the great thing is the tracks you've been on and, and in similar cars, you know, there's no new learning there. It's just a question of learning the endurance game. Yeah, well, last year was uh, obviously a really um, successful year for myself, and the Dunlop Series events were held at two of the of the three endurance events this year. So we raced at Sandown and and Bathurst, and uh, I had quite good car, like good car, and you know, good driver speed. I was able to achieve a pole position at Bathurst and Sandown. So. Just using that as, as a confidence booster going into the event at the Enduros. Um, and, you know, I, I've done a lot of time. I've probably done my fair share of my apprenticeship racing in the Dunlop Series for four, four years. And uh, I suppose that's as prepared as I could possibly be for, for racing in Enduros for the first time this year. Uh, Gold Coast looks like it's going to be the biggest challenge of the three tracks. But, um, you know, fortunately, when I raced a Formula Ford, um, all those years ago, I was actually quite speedy there as well. But um, yeah, I think the three events are a perfect way to to challenge the co-drivers and the main drivers in the Endurance campaign. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, you're taking a greater in- involvement uh, in your your own management, uh, going out sponsorship hunting and looking after your, your own career. Yeah, well, it's it's no secret at the moment that um, to survive in motorsport, you need to have the funding. And, uh, you know, four years in the Dunlop Series has um, taken a massive strain on, um, you know, on myself and my family to consistently find that budget to compete each year. Uh, but uh, I suppose I've, I've learned a lot. Um, uh, I've had a lot of people help me even... Paul Dombrell, when I used to race alongside him, um, at, when I raced with Eggleston Motorsport with the Triple Eight Engineering Assistance with that team, Paul Dombrell was just as good of a race car driver, or just as good a businessman as what he was a race car driver. So, um, you know, occasional phone chats with Paul about where I'm going with my not only my racing ambitions, but where I'm going to you know, expose myself to talk to new sponsors and develop new relationships with sponsors to you know, help assist me in my career for another year. And uh, uh, I'd say I've probably been in the best position I've been uh, ever since I started my career in motorsport. I'm getting uh, a lot more funding and a lot more support and uh, it's starting to become a lot more achievable now than what it felt like a couple of years ago. So, um, yeah, just um, collectively on track, doing well, but then off track, doing just as well at the moment. Just uh, going around, knocking on doors as, as the as the phrase sort of goes and, and just networking myself I go to every uh, round in the supercar calendar whether I'm racing in the Super 2 car or not racing uh, I still go to those events and uh, just keep my face out there and keep putting my, pushing myself out there and letting people know that I'm you know, a young, fit, ambitious driver that's happy to represent any brand possible so yeah, looking it, forward to it Craig Gary, uh, I've known for you know, a good five or six years, 
And uh, as we, as I often say, and this is not good luck that he's making these, uh, uh, reaching these goals and achieving them, but uh, he's good management. And uh, he just heard really the synopsis of uh, why a young man is able to actually build a career in supercars and around them. Indeed. Gary, thanks, thanks so much, much Tony. That's very kind words. I appreciate it. Oh. I was sitting here around the racetrack, and I remember even when Chris uh, and Chips from you used to, you know, used to tell me always take the handbook out and write down what you learn every day. It might be one or two things, uh, but um, yeah, I even used some of your tips back in the day to put into my own game. So yeah, it's well, been a pretty pretty cool journey with you, Tony. No, you, you're achieving these things because you're doing it, mate. Nobody else. We uh, yeah, hope that the rest that. of your training week works out well and that you have a, a good talent. Well, I look forward to catching up with you before the Enduro start and uh, hope it all ends up being a, a wonderful experience for you. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Uh, keeping the dream alive and uh, loving life. Very lucky to be doing what I do. And uh, who knows what the future can hold, mate, as long as I do a good job in, uh, for the rest of the year. Hopefully um, we can get into that main game category and make that dream come true, eh? <laughs> Indeed. Give my regards to your parents and thank uh, thank you, Gary, for joining us on Inside Supercars. Thanks for having me. And after the break, we'll be back with Brian Story's story. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels through the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. We'll continue talking with Ryan's story and hear the background of how he became involved and what he brought to the DJR Team Penske operation. Fascinating insight into it. First of all, probably to illuminate certainly myself, I don't know, Craig has covered some of your history in the past shows, but um, tell us your love of motorsport to start with, because you have to love this sport to be involved as much as you are. Oh look, uh, like exactly as you say, like anyone, I'm I'm, I'm very passionate about about racing, and I think a, a, a key part of that has to be attributed to growing up in South Australia and uh, taking for granted for all those years that we were we were home of uh, the Grand Prix, as it were, and uh, and that and that 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 I suppose sparked a, a very healthy interest from a young age because at the end of uh, end of each year, not too not too many kilometres away from where I lived was the, uh, the Formula One Grand Prix and. Uh, and I've managed to get along to that a couple of times too. And of course, I went went to a lot of the touring car events at Malala over the years. And my, my dad was good enough to take me to those. And and uh, yeah, watching it on TV whenever I could as well. But for me, it was it, I was a Dick Johnson fan from from almost from day one. And uh, those uh, those shell cars look good, as good then as they do now. They're perhaps a bit faster now uh, than what they were then, but uh, but they're good times all the same. Indeed. Um, if you're talking to Dick in the next few days, I wouldn't mention the fact that you were talking to me. Dick and I had a few run-ins over the years. I, 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 think, I, I think couldn't, I couldn't imagine anyone. I couldn't imagine anyone having a run-in with Dick Johnson. Well, well, I, I, I look forward to hearing what, what's behind that, Tony. We, we might need to have a catch-up on that one. Well, I, I, I certainly it was uh, early on in '96, in fact, for the first time. But anyway, enough of that. <laughs> Um, that's, only, that's only mildly tongue-in-cheek. That's only mildly tongue-in-cheek. Okay. Now, tell me, um, you have a, a very different background to come to where you are now. Um, uh, you, you have a doctorate in what? In, in applied mathematics. So, so I'm, wow. I am I am a card-carrying nerd in almost every respect. But, uh, but yeah, it's fair to say my, uh, my my way to where I am now is, is, is a bit... A bit different to some of my contemporaries, that's for sure. Yes, indeed, and and that uh, uh, high degree is, is used on a weekly, monthly, daily basis. <laughs> well, it's basically used every time I have to look at a balance sheet and age receivables and age payables. But uh, but other than that, uh, uh, I suppose the practical uh, 
the practical application of of, uh, of the majority of my education isn't quite to, isn't quite what I, I hoped for it to be at the time I was doing it. Put it that way. Okay. So when was your first paid involvement in motorsport? I'm still waiting for it to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I, no. I, I suppose the, I suppose my involvement with the, with with this team dates back to to well. I was a, a fan of the, a, a, a card carrying, fully paid up member of the uh, of the teammates fan club uh, when it was instigated in 2007, and and obviously my uh, my uh, fan short for fanatic following uh, goes back further than that. But uh, I first got involved in 2011 initially as a sponsor, and the team quite publicly fell on some hard times coming off the back of what should have been what should have been a, a heck of a celebration with a championship. Uh, that preceding year, uh, yeah. so got involved putting a little bit of money in as opposed to taking money out. Uh, in 2012, worked as a data engineer for a bit uh, for the team on a voluntary basis as well as continuing to put some funds in. And and come the end of that year, it, it reached its its perhaps its greatest nadir, I suppose is uh, probably the most polite way of putting it. It was it, things were fairly unhealthy, yeah. and uh, it, it, it basically culminated in in a sit down. At, uh, at, the, at the at the home of uh, Dick and Jill Johnson, and a bit of a meeting of the minds, and and a bit of a frank assessment to Dick directly of, of precisely where things were at. And my advice to him at that point in time was that the best thing for him and the family was to wrap things up and call it a day, and and be grateful for what they've had, uh, knowing how difficult it would be to recover from where they were. And uh, Dick and Jill. Dick especially said, "Look, I don't really know. I don't. This is all I know how to do." And uh, I basically said to him in response that, "Look, if uh, if you guys are prepared to, to to give this a shot and 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 back a bit of a strategy, I'll I'll do everything I can to try and turn it around. But it's a it's a near on impossible task, and it's going to be difficult. But basically, if we have any missteps or if we have any any differences of opinion along the way, it's not going to work. But." If, you, if you're prepared to sign up for that, I'll, I'll, I'll press on and, and see what we can do. And pretty much from that day, I was uh, I was running the shop, and uh, we put uh, we put Steve in there and, and Steve Johnson, that is, and he had a day-to-day role with the team from that point, which 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 ensured that there was a bit more family involvement there. And that and that continued right up until uh, 2013 when he uh, when he had his uh, his co-drive role with, with Erebus, he, he scaled back almost immediately then as as was appropriate to do. But, but yeah, pretty much from that point on, I've, I've been I've been at the helm, for, for better or worse. And uh, unfortunately, in recent times, I, I, I look like I'm a bit of a genius. But I think more than that, it, it, more than that it, it's, it's a result of, of being fortunate enough to have put together a group of people who are capable of doing the job. I'm, I'm uh, delighted to say that... Uh, that, that the efforts that the, the efforts that I've been able to put in uh, have basically brought brought together a group of people that are capable of getting the job done from 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 Rod Gutensky, uh, down uh, down through the ranks and and that's and that's something I take a tremendous degree of pride in I, I can tell you. Life, of course, is all about timing, knowing when to apply things. Um, so you got involved. This will be post Charlie Schmirkov. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I was I was I was a I would, I would attend a couple of events a year, and, and with a, with a, with a, I suppose a, uh, the uh, the couch the couch ex, the armchair expert uh, you you could say prior to that, uh, and really really enjoyed the racing as a fan from 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 that point, and 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 got involved after that, and, and precisely as I mentioned, it was it was out of a sense of disbelief that that uh, that the organisation could be on its on its knees again. After having such a great year that year in 2010, where they where they where they racked up a pretty sensational championship. Well, and Ryan, Braybeck got involved. Is that correct? Yeah, and Steve's been around been around a long time too. He's been he's been a solid investor in the business, and and he got them through the end of that 2010 year. And it's a bit of an untold story, but basically, the team wasn't going to make it to Homebush if Steve hadn't stepped in in the way that he did. And and he's been he's been right there throughout that time too. And he was never able to have a day-to-day role in the business as a consequence of his own business interests, as you can probably appreciate. And I think that some of the things that uh, that happened 
as a result of, of, of me being able to be hands-on uh, would have happened in, in, a, in a very similar manner if, if Steve was in a position to have, uh, to have been there day-to-day. Uh, the way in which I was fortunate enough to be able to. Ryan, you talk about, uh, you know, you're sponsoring the team, you then took a data engineer role, but what happens to your business when you then become (laughs) the man who is working 24-7 on saving DJR? Well, for a a period of time in the early days, uh, it was a bit of a struggle. I was uh, located in in Melbourne and, and commuting up in 2012 at least and uh, and having a, more of a, a weekend role. But it, it became apparent uh, pretty early on in that piece that, uh, that, that, that if, 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 if I had a greater involvement, I'd obviously have to be there on the ground. So it led to a, a bit of a restructure, um, learning, learning pretty quickly how important, how important delegation is and, uh, and again, like any other business, it's it's about good people, and I've got a lot of good people who work uh, for my uh, for my companies, uh, and I'm very very fortunate to be in that position. And and likewise at the race team, it's uh, it's 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 a great thing to work with great people who who are all pulling in the same direction. I'm very very proud of that, and and, and incredibly lucky to be to be as fortunate. Two weeks. How much of it is spent on DJR team Penske, and how much on your own businesses? Roughly speaking, yeah. <laughs> well, these days it's it's ninety nine point nine 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 five percent DJR Team Penske, and it's been that way since twenty thirteen. Right. Um, basically, my role with my own organisations uh, these days is is fairly limited. Uh, okay. I basically I basically sign off on sign off on on reports and and, and get updates as required, but. Uh, but the people who uh, the people who hold the mantle there do a great job for me. I understand that you played a fairly major role, if not the role, in the marriage between the two entities now known as DJR and Penske. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, that's uh, it's a very a very a very kind way of putting it. But uh, but look, it's uh, it, it's one of those things where I often I often joke to um, to our partners uh, and. Uh, and, and to others who I get to spend time with and have dinners with over race weekends, that when it all goes wrong, it's entirely my fault. But uh, the truth is, when it all goes right, it, it genuinely is a, as, a, as a result of, of, of the hard work that everyone else puts in. But the, 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 I suppose the 18-month process of, uh, of putting, uh, putting, putting Johnson and, and Penske together was, was one that was incredibly rewarding. It was never a case of being fait accompli, and it... It really was a, a matter of uh, Tim Sindrick and myself working through a whole heap of things, and I've said this publicly before too, Tony. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate it again now: the, the objective that, that we took at the time it was one that I explained to both Dick and Steve Brayback from our end. I said, "Look, it's a very simple question: Is supercars better off with Team Penske in it or out of it? Is DJR better off with Team Penske in it or out of it? On which one comes first? And for me, DJR would have been better better off if supercars had Penske in it, even if it was competing against it, yet alone in yeah. partnership with it. So yeah. we effectively opened up our books. I was very open with them on our interpretation of the rules, of costs, and, and at no point was there a hard sell to get involved with DJR. They had uh, some interaction with other entities that didn't quite take the same uh, same approach to things, and it meant that the communication between us while they were making a determination as to whether they would go racing in supercars uh, was 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 done in conjunction with us without without it ever being a foregone conclusion that that uh, they would go in with us. Right. And uh, at the time in which they decided that they would uh, they would they would take make the plunge, so to speak, yeah. and use supercars as the as the marketing arm of of their Australian business interests, uh, they also invited us to to be a part of it, and 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 it was only then that we really accelerated talks about uh, about forming what is now known as DJR Team Penske. And I'm I'm proud of how that happened. I think that we we maintained tremendous integrity through that whole process. I think that our objectives were 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 never our objectives were always pure in terms of of what we wanted the outcome to be because. DJR and all the other teams would have would have would have all benefited even if it was Team Penske without the DJR part. But having 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 the two uh, the two entities merge the way in which they have was was ultimately the best the best outcome any of us could have hoped for. And, and like I said, it's one that we're all immensely proud of. Ryan, the Penske way has 
been talked about ad nauseum over the last few years. But I imagine, I know how they vet employees and potential employees and how you have to go through an amazing process uh, when you're choosing the people to make sure they're right. How did they do that style of vetting process on Dick Johnson Racing as an entity and a company to, uh, you know, to partner up with? Yeah, well, one of the interesting things that that that, that was uh, that was the, the I suppose the the initiation period to that was that uh, they were obviously uh, talking and investigating the the possibility of entering the series and talking to a number of other teams. And at the time, it, it was the case that if you if you were to Google Dick Johnson before you found out about his his fine exploits on the racetrack, uh, you saw a bit of the. You, you, you would read quite a bit about some of the hurdles he'd, he'd had to jump through on the business sense, and and some of the uh, some of the, the I suppose the the heartache and tragedy that had led him to to that point in time, and and that's not necessarily what you want to read about a, a potential future business partner. So for us, it was a case of demonstrating that there was a really good structure in place, and also and also. By the same token, the value of, of of having Dick involved in the in the organisation. I mean, there, he there are a number of race drivers in the field who wouldn't sign as many autographs or pose for as many photos over a race weekend than Dick would. Uh, he's still uh, an absolute uh, draw card, not only to the series but but to our to our supporters and uh, and he, and you can never you can never take that away from him and what that means. And what that brings, and and it also brings a, I suppose, a currency to to an organisation that that is fifty thousand employees, uh, large worldwide, but but its presence in Australia was was growing and and and, and small at that time. So, the the benefits of having Dick associated were were, were significant, but but it did require an education process, uh, as 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 Roger and Tim Sindrick knew they they knew about Dick from their time particularly their time racing here on the Gold Coast in the IndyCar races for, for all those years. Um, like I said, at the time, a Google search didn't necessarily paint the rosiest of pictures. So you had to separate a little bit of that out of it. And and, demonst- and for us, it was a case of demonstrating how, ge- how good it could be when, it, when, when, when done correctly. Does the Penske way, or has that Penske way now flown into how you operate your own businesses or were you almost working that way to start with oh it would be it would be it would be uh, it would be a little bit uh, foolish of me to suggest uh, to suggest anything less but uh, I've learned an awful lot working in this environment uh, particularly when it comes to uh, how important people are how to manage people uh, I've got a I've got a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, I suppose, a, for, with parts of my background, there's a, there's a, there's a, a tendency to be fairly blunt and and and, and short uh, by way of message delivery and uh, and take, bringing bringing that to a to a broader organisation where where the objectives and the outcomes are different doesn't necessarily work. So I've learned an awful lot there from seeing how. How a man like Roger interacts with his staff, and how he how he treats his people, how he respects his people, and and the same with Tim Sindrick. I mean, Tim Sindrick runs uh, the motor racing uh, organisations of uh, of Rogers, and uh, and he sits at the helm of those. But with his experience and his management ability, there's no doubt in my mind he could run any one of Rogers' uh, uh, business units across the world. He's 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 quite a formidable uh, character and, and figure in that respect, but. I've learned a lot in terms of how to how I can further separate myself from my business by applying some of those principles to it. But in terms of how the Pinsky way is applied to our race team, it is it is at the very heart and soul of it. And our people understand what it means. It's it's about it's about process. It's about carrying yourself in a certain way and and knowing that at all points in time you represent a person who has built up over 50 years of a racing pedigree and legacy. That, that is that is almost without peer in its own right, and a, a business enterprise that that that, uh, that that effectively navigates the globe. So, it's very it, it means a lot to all of us. Uh, for just recently, we presented to everyone at the race team a medallion that that Roger gives to his staff 
every year and it's got the year on it and, and, and the Penske logo and on the back it says effort equals results. And and that's his mantra and it's a mantra that runs throughout all of the Penske businesses worldwide and it's one that was given to him by his father at a very young age and, and he's lived he's lived it and breathed it and, and we're learning this year more than ever that uh, that effort equals results really is really is the truth. And, uh, and again a student of uh, Mr. Penske's, I've only met him briefly a couple of times at racetracks, but I missed out on a trip, a Porsche trip when they were running those cars over in the States from Australia, and I was so uh, so upset that I had um, started reading about Donahue back in the uh, 70s and 80s, started following Penske uh, in the late 60s, and I've told at least four or five of your drivers and a good number of other staff about um, both... Uh, unfair advantage and also the technical excellence at speed and I told them about the opening paragraph of the forward that Roger wrote to Mark Donahue was that Mark Donahue was the catalyst that all we have achieved in Penske racing and it staggered me the number of your drivers that still haven't read that book it blows me away too I mean the unfair advantage is a book that I've read and another one that, that a lot of your listeners should uh, should look out for is The Beast by Jade Gers that that shows you just how different Roger Penske is from everyone else in the motorsport industry. I mean, the, employing Mark Donoghue and going racing with Mark Donoghue at that time was a revelation. Yeah. Mark Donoghue was an engineer as well as being a race driver. He he wasn't he wasn't uh, he was he, he didn't have the mechanical background like a lot of race drivers did at that time. He he was a he was a qualified engineer. It was something different. And that approach from not only from employing a guy like that, but then working with him to make the cars better, and 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 working hand in hand with him on 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 the principles of racing and what it all means, is really exactly as you say. It's the foundation to to everything that Roger has built in in the motor racing sense, and uh, it's a it's a remarkable book. It's something that uh, that we've we've aimed. It's it's a difficult thing to get hold of in bulk, Tony, and it's something that. At, at one, at some point in time, I want to be able to present to all of our staff too, and give them an opportunity to read it. And I've certainly yeah. lent my copy out to quite a few of them. And, it, and every time it gets back to me, it's more dogged than what it was when I got when I gave it to them. Put it that way. I've owned four copies of Unfair Advantage, and, and two of them have disappeared in the paddock. I still have two of them. One <laughs> of them turned up in track that in a truck that Vinnie was driving, Vinnie Borgia was driving. And about three years after it disappeared, he found it in a truck and. Um, yeah, look, you know, just an extraordinary man. And, you know, when you talk on World Motorsport, I've, I, for a long, long time, have put Penske in the top five of motorsport teams of all time. Because the fact that they can be so successful across so many different disciplines of the sport is an extraordinary thing. And uh, when you, you know, I mean, to be going every third time, or three and a half it might be, it, third time the Indy 500 and winning it. I mean, sorry, the what? <laughs> it's extraordinary. I mean, he's won, uh, as, 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 a, as an entrant, he's won 16 uh, Indy 500s, but, but his car, cars that he's made have won 17, because you have to remember that yeah, uh, yeah. Emerson Fittipaldi won with for Pat Patrick in uh, in uh, 1990, I might, 89 or 90, so, yeah. so it's, it's technically 17, but the thing that that's most impressive about Roger is just how humble he is for oh, everything yeah. that he's achieved. He's yeah. standing in the business. Well, I mean, he was a, he was a director of General Electric, which which was the world's biggest company at that time for many many years. I mean, this is a man who stands on his own, not only in motorsport but in the world of business. And it sounds like that I'm I'm saying all the right things about the boss, but the reality is that's that's fact. And oh, and. No, and no. You, you know, oh, I mean, I was guys up with, with the guy. And look, and when people <laughs> start talking about that Eccleston bloke, I go, no, no, we're talking about Respensky, someone who built their own business, just didn't empty other people's bank accounts. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's an end of an era with uh, with how Liberty have progressed and Bernie sort of moved to one side. But but he still seems to go to an awful lot of Grand Prix, whether 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 he's got the title emeritus or otherwise. But one, one thing I'll add uh, on the uh, on the Mark Donoghue piece, I was very fortunate enough to meet to meet his sons last year at a gala uh, a gala dinner in in Charlotte in, in North Carolina at the uh, the NASCAR Hall of Fame, which celebrated. Ken Penske's 50 years 
in, in motorsport. And I also got to see Mark Donoghue's uh, Indy 500 race winning uh, race winning car there too. I mean, it, the Sunoco Special. It, it was it was special. It was a pretty impressive thing. I've actually got a photo of myself with Rick Mears, someone who I greatly admire and respect, yeah, in yeah. front of that car. Um, Tim Sindrick took it, and to be frank, it's not the world's best photo. So, uh, so he'll he'll stick to his day job. But it's still a pretty special thing to have. And to, I, I, I pinch myself every day. I, I pinch myself every day to work with one of my heroes in Dick Johnson, uh, and, and I and I squeeze even hard on being able to interact with these guys. And being a, not only not only working for Roger Penske, but being being his partner in a in a race team, it's 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 something that's very special. Ryan, well, I guess it's not that. it's not a hands off relationship either. And I this year it must be so much easier to get that uh, phone call every night to uh, give him a summary of what's going on. Absolutely. I mean, there's been a lot of sleepless nights, at least from my end, over the last couple of years because we haven't been at, we haven't been doing the job. We've been working towards it, but. But as anyone knows, it doesn't matter what, whether you're involved in motorsport, whether you're involved in, in, in you know, whether you've got a, a, a business mowing lawns for a living. It, you, you have to have you have to have faith and you have to have uh, the belief in in what you're doing. And and sometimes the results don't necessarily demonstrate that you're making progress. And I've, I've spoken a lot about and 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 obviously it's been it's been lauded the the impact that a fellow like Ludo Lacroix has had coming into our organisation. But uh, as, I, as I say to our staff, a, a good general is nothing without a good army, and a good army is nothing without a good general. Ludo's inherited a very fine group of people who are on their way, but what he's done, he's brought it all together, and he's given these guys, a, a, he's given these guys clear, clear direction that complements their own competence and abilities. And, and, and really that's been something very special to see. And the last couple of years have been extremely tough in and of their own right, They've been very testing, but uh, but Roger's been a part of that right the way through, and and he's so heavily engaged in uh, in what we do. I mean, I, I heard from uh, from from a very senior senior fellow who uh, who who works quite closely with Roger and travels with him that uh, he made some changes to his flight schedule so that he could be on the ground to watch live the uh, the Saturday race. Um, and he watches it. He watches it uh, on the Superview product, which is available outside of Australia and New Zealand. And uh, and he and he, he's glued to it almost every every time we hit the racetrack. And he's very heavily engaged and committed with it. And and he's an out and out racer. You see him when he's at the track with us, and he doesn't quite punch the air as as much as my French friend does. But you can see that 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 he's incredibly passionate about going racing. And when we have a good result, you you can you can you can see immediately from his body language just how much it means to him and how pumped he is for it and man it's 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 just special to be around him and I'm just incredibly grateful for his patience over the last couple of years because we haven't we haven't been deserving of his name uh, over over the 15 year and 16 year we really haven't and but we've been working towards it and it's only now that I can really take take it at some degree in pride in, in what we've been able to do and and I know that's the case for for everyone who works at uh, Stapleton as well you said you get the blame, but do you get the credit of bringing Ludo in? Uh, there's 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 a lot to that. There's quite a bit to that story that uh, that will be told sometime. But uh, but uh, I I worked very hard to get Ludo into the into into our team, and and that was after he expressed interest in it. So I suspect you can read between the lines and understand uh, what the play might have been there. But uh, Ludo Ludo and I often joke that we went to war together before we even started. And it cemented a bond between us that uh, that I think has, has also helped us hit the ground running as well. We we we're we're on the same page at all times. We we were both at the shop today when the rest of the the travelled crew were taking a taking a, a, a very well earned day's rest. But uh, he's a guy who doesn't switch off, and uh, and and his passion and commitment is 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 leaves him almost without peer, quite frankly. But uh, I just love working for him as I know everyone else does, and. And and they all pull the whole technical, the whole the whole engineering group, uh, and and everyone else within the organisation uh, falls in behind him. And and his sense of humour, his his character, his manner, it's it's infectious, it's contagious, and uh, and and that's what you're seeing when we go racing. We don't we certainly don't roll out to every track we visit with an expectation of being successful, but we have an expectation of being competitive. And we haven't had that before this year, and uh, and it's something that that, that means an awful lot.
coming off your most successful trip ever to the Northern Territory, I would have to think. <laughs> Without a doubt, and, and and we've been going there a long time. I mean, I mean, Dick 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 raced there a couple of times himself. In fact, he tells a great story about uh, taking then Chief Minister Shane Stone, who who was who was quite instrumental in putting putting uh, putting the Hidden, Hidden Valley circuit together with uh, Tony Cochran and and the guys at Avesco at the time. He tells a great story about uh, doing laps of the track in in what allegedly might have been uh, his uh, his government car at the time and. And uh, I'd hazard a bet the thing never never quite drove the same way again at that point. So uh, 20 years is a long time, but uh, yeah, we were very happy to take on those trophies. And, and if you saw the coverage, they were big trophies too. Uh, we we we, uh, we we they take pride of place at at, uh, at our shop, but we we also have replicas taken that we send to the archives at Team Penske back in America. So I think we're going to need a bigger shipping crate for those ones. <laughs> Um, so now your drives have come out one two, um, which is a first. Uh, you have to go back probably to the uh, early nineties, almost the Sierra days, to have a DJR one two in the, in the points. <laughs> well, Dick, Dick and John Bauer managed to finish finish the years in eighty eight and eighty nine, finishing first and second, and in the dominance that they displayed at that point in those little red rocket Sierras, but. Uh, we're 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 not even halfway through the calendar year yet. And oh, but you know, the twelve, twenty six races have now done. Um, so you've nearly done as uh, half the starts for the year, even if the long ones are coming. Well, the long ones are the, the long ones are the are the are the, are the are the are the ones that are the most unpredictable. I mean, Townsville is going to be a track that that won't necessarily. Uh, won't necessarily uh, come quite as uh, quite as nicely to us as has some of the other other ones that we've been to. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll give it our best there, and, and certainly for the rest of the year, all all we can do is is keep trying to keep working hard to give our, our drivers the most competitive cars we can give them, because we know if they if their backside's in a fast race car, they'll 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 return uh, a result uh, a result for for us and. Uh, that's all we can do. We got to take. I know it sounds cliched. I know you. Hear, I know you. Hear, you guys hear it all the time. In fact, it, you could almost wear out a record with it. But you have got to take it each race as it comes. Yeah, with somebody who follows AFL football, we all know it's one week at a time. Um, <laughs> That's right. And it certainly is interesting to to learn so much about how Penske and Dick Johnson have married into what is obviously a very successful and trend-setting team in 2017. After the break, we'll be back with our final thoughts. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's Cure Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. Going to hark back into something that was... Uh, part of the regular world of race facts that I published, and that was a column called Cries and Whispers. Just looking at a few of the things that are happening around the supercar paddock and motorsport in general. Great to see that Van Gisbergen is just about to head off to America for the third and final of his adventures in the US in the WeatherTech racing series. He's driving a Mercedes over there, Two unsuccessful forays so far, but this weekend he's at Watkins Glen in the six hour. A great track and a track that he has great history. And he's, he's stated that uh, he's certainly got Le Mans and the Nürburgring 24 hours both on his agenda for future. So that's fantastic to see. Um, Craig, are there any things that you've got on, on your Cries and Whispers column? Well, yeah. <laughs> Mel Kenyon held the lap record, I think you'll find, in a in a midget or a speed car, as we call them in Australia, at Watkins Glen at one stage. Uh, wow. A, a very capable man. I, I can't remember. I can't. We, we did talk about it one time, and I can't remember if he put a gearbox in it because they normally fix gear in a midget, but uh, certainly it was quite a remarkable feat. Um, my Well, look, we talked about the Stinger before and obviously uh, a story I've heard, and I'm, I can't remember if I've said it on air before, but I've heard that there are manufacturers out there that want to get involved. The only problem is they want to get involved with Roland Dane at Red Bull 
HRT, which obviously isn't going to happen, and also Ryan Stories and Dick Johnson Team Penske. And unless those two teams can uh, be the ones that are looking after the cars, then the manufacturers aren't too keen to get involved. So it's interesting that there are manufacturers out there, but they are very selective on who they want to partner with. Indeed, indeed. One last final cries and whisper is that um, there's been some more testing going on, but not the mainstream teams. They did theirs last week. Today up at Winton, there are a couple of development series cars tested, as well as some of the Kumos. Um, Jared McLeod, who makes his debut in Townsville, uh, on board the Martin um, uh, Charter car. I can't think of the guy's first name. It's an ex uh, Scotty McLaughlin, Stone Brothers uh, Falcon. And uh, so a bit of testing going on um, in getting ready because of not this weekend, but the following one will be Townsville. But anyway, our final thoughts, Craig. Yours? Mine is I don't remember so much negativity about a race, uh, a street race particularly, uh, as what we're getting with Newcastle. And I'm wondering if, if I was oblivious to it It's Sydney, Canberra, and uh, certainly in New, Car- in New Zealand, I, I wasn't as privy to it at Hamilton as what uh, we would be in a mainland race. But uh, Townsville embraced it with open arms for the most part. And uh, Canberra, whilst they didn't like it, they really didn't like it once they actually found out what uh, it was going to do to the traffic in and around that zone. But the Newcastle efforts on uh, keeping bad news flowing seem to be... Uh, seem to be disproportionate with the um, with the amount of news going on about the event, and supercars are doing a, a big job trying to trying to smooth over the waters. But I can't understand Tony why we're seeing so much negative media in mainstream, not in fringe publications, but in mainstream publications. And is it a case that journalism has got so bare bones now that uh, a good activist group that has a good PR um, arm to it is able to outmuscle uh, major sporting events and major uh, corporations, if you like, that have complete departments that are there to put out a good word. Well, I remember, the, because I've got a pretty strong New Zealand connection, I lived there for a while, my father was New Zealand, but um, I, I do remember there was negative press in uh, in and around Hamilton, and it was a factionalised group, and I think in a similar way possibly to how, how there's been in Newcastle. They, like many others, have used things like the internet to spread their message, and they may be getting a far greater share of voice than really what the reality is. Um, I, I know that uh, I've been uh, in probably 50 cities in the last two or three years, and there's very few cities I've been in that needed more of a lick of paint than when I saw Newcastle last December. Mm. Um, it, it will have an enormous impact. Now, some people think it's going to be negative. I think that those same people are uninformed, just totally uninformed about what supercars can do. And certainly there was no negative press in Townsville of any note. There was none in uh, Darwin, certainly. They were crying out for an event. Now, I think Newcastle, there will be, when the time comes closer, a very strong motorsport contingent that say, hey, we want this. Just though, looking at something negative, I'd like to just make mention about the Singapore one. I remember some years back, and it would have been probably in about uh, 09 or 10, somewhere around there, when it was being mooted, the idea of supercars racing at Macau. Now, having been there and seen World Touring Cars, which, of course, were the two-litre cars, or, and they were smaller uh, smaller than two litres, in fact, they 1.6s, um, those cars, that track wouldn't cope well if supercars went there. <laughs> and I think, similarly, the Singapore one would as well. I think it would be fantastic for the, uh, the category to go there because, obviously, it would be under a much bigger light than it would be if they're just running around Sepang at a at a, a, an off-season race meeting. So I think that, you know, preferable to fly in there. But the one hope would be that it could be piggybacked. Now, you know, when it was mooted about going to America, they always, you know, try to push the idea of we'll have a, uh, a twinning races. Well, you can't do 
a domestic series, two races in any other country. Same way we can't just take two races to New Zealand. That can't just happen. The FIA says that our series, and there are quite literal boundaries as to how far east and how far west the series can go. And that, you know, the going to Abu Dhabi and Bahrain and those things, they all find the twin those, and that worked. But unfortunately, they never got enough in the way of, of uh, people through the gate to actually justify the, the massive expense in taking the series there. But I hope that, that something could come out of something like Singapore. That, you know, could be a good thing. Mm, indeed. Anyway, that's it for another week of Supercar. So thank you very much, Craig. Thank you, Tony. And good night from me. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. 